we've been doing a series on identity, and uh, we've been talking about how we, what we think about ourselves as it relates to Christ impacts how we treat other people. And uh, sometimes we, we do more of these topical series. I like to try to find passages that we kind of plant ourselves in. Um, I'm going to do a little bit different this morning, and this is maybe uncomfortable for some of you. It's actually very uncomfortable for me. Uh, I always, when I visit uh, churches and the pastor uh, doesn't have a passage, but just a whole bunch of verses uh, to prove his point, I always think he's a little suspect. But um, there, there is a point in where when we're looking at truths of Scripture, systematically we look at all of the Bible to see what it says about a certain topic. And that's what we're, we're certainly not going to look at every verse, but we're looking at a topic and systematically trying to look at what Scripture teaches us about it. And specifically, we're going to be talking about as identity, we are family. We are family. Um, as some of you recognized, uh, my wife and I were missing uh, from our uh, banquet on Friday, our dessert banquet that had to do with legacy. And uh, I want to share why we weren't there in a little personal story. Um, first of all, I had a, a scheduling conflict that was my fault. Uh, but we were at a fundraiser for CASA. CASA stands for Court-Appointed uh, Special Advocate. And uh, CASA workers are given to kids uh, primarily in the foster care system. Uh, it is a law that every child be uh, advocated for in the state of Oregon when they're in the system. Currently, there's about 45% uh, of the kids have a CASA worker. There's just not enough workers for kids. Of course, there's ad other advocates. These are special advocates. Um, and when Kirsten came to live in our home, she had uh, a CASA worker. Um, and uh, her name was Cindy. And uh, Cindy uh, absolutely impacted our family. Um, and I, we have said and, and uh, before, I don't know that we would have made it at times without Cindy. Uh, Cindy brought something that we didn't have with somebody coming into our home. Cindy had history with Kirsten. Uh, Cindy had all the facts. Not all uh, social workers gave us the facts. Um, and so she was very helpful. So anyway, uh, Kirsten, having been adopted and graduating high school early and graduating college at 20, uh, Casa came to her and they did a video of her and our family and her story, and it was a part of their fundraiser on Friday night. And so after uh, the video showed, uh, Kirsten got up and shared, it was actually kind of funny as a dad who's a public speaker, she got up there and she went to the podium and she said, they told me my notes would be up here. <laughs> They're not. <laughs> I'm going to wing it. And then there was the dad part of me that went, oh, no. <laughs> but she did a wonderful job. And, uh, and so we were at that event. And I apologize for missing our legacy banquet. Um, we're talking about family. And we are, according to Scripture, adopted into God's family. That's the terminology that's used in Ephesians and other place in Scripture. And as somebody who's adopted, I think I have a little bit different perspective sometimes on that process. 
And I want to say that there's been great moments and there's been difficult moments. And as I was thinking about the message this morning and uh, I thought about this time, uh, Kirsten was probably about 15 years old. We had begun to talk about adoption. And uh, when we began that process, uh, for some of you who don't know, if you're in the foster care system at age 16, um, actually, uh, John Meek was a big part of this. If you're in the foster care system when you're age 16, the state pays for your college. It's just a thing that they do. Uh, some of it comes from federal aid and the rest of it, uh, Oregon, which I believe John Meek was a big part in making this law, is that the, the uh, state pays for the rest. And so when she told us at 15 she wanted to be adopted, we, be honest with you, we told her social worker, we want to adopt Kirsten, but I've already not paid for two kids' college. So we want to wait till she's 16. And she's like, oh, I agree. And so we kind of drug our feet a little bit. Well, there was a time in high school where something happened on campus. And I honestly don't remember what it was, but Kirsten was upset and people on the campus at high school were calling me and saying, you need to come be a part of this meeting. And I was frustrated and irritated. Sometimes I love Kirsten, but because of her background, sometimes drama just finds her. And I didn't want to be a part of this thing. And when I went to the front desk, I said, I am Dave Fields. I am Kirsten's foster dad. Which was true, but a terrible thing to say. And so I went to the meeting, and I sat in the car, and God convicted me of what I had just said. Some of you know that feeling. And so in a time in the car, I had a a time of repentance with God. And I asked God to forgive me for what I said, and I don't suggest doing this, but in my prayer, I use the word but. I said, God, forgive me, but sometimes it's so embarrassing. And I know that you're Baptist, but I want you to hear this. God spoke to me at that moment. I did not hear an audible, but it was as clear in my conscience, and I can still hear it at this very moment. God said to me very clearly, <laughs> he said, tell me about it. <laughs> it wasn't the tell me about it by, oh, dear son, tell me your problems. No, that was not the tell me about it. It was very clearly a tell me about it, and it wasn't a tell me about it. Yeah, people in the church embarrass me all the time. No, it wasn't a tell me about it. The church over the centuries has embarrassed me. He very clearly said to me, tell me about it. You also have embarrassed me. Family. When I talk about that we are a family, for some of you, that spurs some good feelings. For others of you, that is not a great topic. And so understand that we who have fallen and evil, who have embarrassed God over and over and over again, God loves us so much that he says, I will make you mine. I'll give you my name. And it's a big deal. So when we talk about this, idea of family, overarching 
In Romans chapter 8, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Look at that on the overhead there. You are no longer strangers and aliens. You're not aliens, but citizens. You're not strangers, but members of the household. It's a family term here. So this morning, what I want to do is look at two things. Where we see the truth that we are family and what the ramifications are. But I want you to understand this. This isn't a simile or a metaphor that God is using. It's not that we are like family. We are family. And I want you to catch that. It's not just something we are like, it's actually what we are. So where do we see the truth that we are family? First of all, we see it in the storyline of the Bible. It starts with two people, a father and mother, who are the parents of all creation. In fact, the Bible keeps coming back to that story in some of the things when we're reading our our Bible uh, reading, and you come to the genealogies, and you go, oh no, genealogy, but sometimes it takes it back to Abraham, sometimes it takes it back to Adam and Eve, to remind us that we're all created in the image of God, and siblings of one big, huge family. So it's part of the storyline of the Bible, but more often, we see it in the language of the Bible. That is, how the Bible refers to us, or how we refer to each other in scripture. And so we see it in a lot of different ways in the language of the Bible. So let me give you some examples. We are referred to as brothers and sisters. In Matthew um, chapter, uh, I think I have the wrong, uh, 12, says Jesus is questioned, he's doing some things, and somebody says, hey, your mom and your brothers and sisters are outside. And Jesus replies to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hands towards his disciples, he said, here's my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother. So there we see that language that Jesus introduced as brothers and sisters. We see the language of God as our father. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, at the end of a quotation from Leviticus, by the way, those of you who are reading our Bible reading, we're in Leviticus in the Old Testament, and some of you have stopped referring it to as the Bible reading and referred to it as the Bible drudging. But we're, we're reading through Leviticus, and it says, at the end of Leviticus, and Paul is quoting this, and I, God, will be a father to you, And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. God is our Father. We see it in the idea of marriage in Scripture, where Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. That's family. Uh, Again, we see it in this idea of sons. In Romans chapter 8, it says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. This idea of calling God our Father is very familiar to us. We think in terms of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But from the ancient world, to refer to a God as a parent isn't as heard of. This is a 
a very intimate relationship. In fact, this Abba Father, he's saying, you can cry out to him calling him daddy, almost a lesser term. We talk about children and inheritance. That passage goes on to say the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There there is a point in where we're not just adopted and we're kind of lesser groups. He says, no, look, you're going to be adopted and be full heirs. Everything that's mine is yours. We're children with an inheritance. And then the verse that we started with, we are members of the household of God. This is just a sampling of the language that God uses over and over when he refers to us. It's not that we're like family, we actually become family. Another way that we see it is in the promises of Scripture. When we talk about these ideas of inheritance, this is a promise. So he's saying, here is who you are in the language, son and children, and then he gives us this promise within inheritance. And he says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Man, that, it's not that we might get an inheritance, we have obtained it. It's the promise. Another way that we understand this truth is in the commands of Scripture. So the storyline, the language, the promises to come, but then in the commands, the way that uh, the commands are worded. Now, I want to just step back for a second. I want to think about our vision as a church. Love God, love people, Make disciples as we follow Jesus. We've talked about this idea that love God, the ways that we strategize and make that happen in our church is we want to read scripture together so that we might learn to love God. We want to pray. We want to worship an active response to God whereby we declare his worth. And then we've given three strategies or pathways to loving people. We talk about community, and I'm going to talk about that today, but the next two that we talk about under loving God is family and peacemaking. Family, we've defined as this. Listen to this. We desire to be a family of believers that experiences and shares God's love, applies God's truth, grows and grows in our ability to love others. As a family... We want to grow in our love for God in a way that we can begin then to experience that by growing in our love and ability to love others. And then peacemaking, to be a family of believers who practice responding to conflict even when it's difficult. So this idea of family, what we believe about somebody shapes how we respond to them. If we believe it is true that they are family and we are going to spend eternity with them, then it should motivate how we respond to them in difficult times. 
So here's some of the one another's of Scripture, certainly not a complete list. We should be devoted to one another. Devoted to one another. In Romans chapter 12, it says, love one another. In some translations, be devoted to one another. The idea of love and devotion, those words are so similar in the Greek and in their meanings, they can be moved around a little bit. With what? Brotherly affection. Be devoted with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Sometimes in uh, our church, in different generations, we say, well, we got to honor this generation or we need to honor that generation. Scripture says we need to outdo one another in showing honor. It should be like a uh, race to do it. I was brought up well in some ways, and when uh, I was dating in different dating relationships and I was having dinner, at the parents' house, that, you know, time-honored tradition. I didn't wait to be asked. I got up and started doing dishes until I was chased out of there. Why? That's honoring. Sometimes I wasn't chased out. That was a bummer. But I, <laughs> I knew if mom doesn't like you, you're in trouble, right? We should try to outdo one another in showing honor. Next, we're called to serve one another. In Galatians, it says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We talked about how we are free. Now Paul says, use that freedom, that freedom that you have in Christ, not to be under the law and all those restrictions, you're freed up. And you know what I want you to do with that freedom? I want you to serve other people in the body of Christ. Carry one another's burdens. Also in Galatians, Paul says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is to love. Now, when I thought about this idea of bearing one another's burdens, there are people here in our, our midst who are struggling physically. And, and people have brought food and, and helped around the house or whatever it is, we've tried to bear that burden. There are people in our church who are struggling emotionally and some of them have friends that have come alongside them and, and tried to help them uh, emotionally. Sometimes we just took our benevolent offering when somebody in the, the family is hurting financially, other people have indirectly helped them financially. They, they bore that burden. You know, we have some burdens in ministry as well. Michelle is, is working with teen moms, and she's sometimes overwhelmed. Uh, children's ministry has so many things going on. Youth ministry has things going on. That's one of the, the areas where we need to help bear those burdens. Right? So one of the things that we do is we see needs, and we take those needs upon ourselves. We do it to free the other person up. Now, in families, sometimes that happens all the time. It just happens. We don't even necessarily think about it. My wife and I are mostly empty nesters. They keep coming back, but mostly we're empty nesters. <laughs> and I, I would say if one of us are sick, uh, you know, 
You don't need to bring our family food, obviously. We do okay. But we both cook. we, We both do it. Share. My wife, very wisely, many years ago, and I don't know if somebody told her this, or I don't know how she did this, but she made house cleaning day on Monday. Yeah. Pastor's day off, Monday is house cleaning day. Okay, so you know, we, we, we bear burdens together. Right? That's family. When the kids were here just this weekend, they're celebrating Kirsten's birthday, and Jackie and Jordan spent the night. Look, there's, uh, we're, we're, we're all participating, right, with the kids. That's what we do. We sh- we, that's just natural. And it, it shouldn't be a burden on us when we do that in the body of Christ. Why? Because we're family. We're not like family. We are family. Now, another illustration here that I, I missed when we were doing the communion um, and I, I said, you know, some people came and got it. Some people passed it to a younger. Some people passed it to an older. Another thing that happened is that the pastors, Rich and I, we just helped when needed. We didn't do it all ourselves. It's not, it's not the role of the pastors to do all the evangelism. We're here, the Bible says, to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of the ministry. That's, that's our role to carry one another's burdens. Now, another one. Teach and admonish one another. Colossians 3, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Now, again, we're not doing exegetical here, but hear this, the word of God needs to be dwelling in you. First. Then, and richly, by the way, not just a little bit, then you are called to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. So we're called to teach and admonish one another. We're also in, uh, called to encourage one another. To encourage one another. Right? We all need that. But exhort, encourage one another every day, as long as it is called today, that that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage. And then finally, just one more in the commands of the Bible. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. There Again, that idea of encouraging, spurring, cheering on. Let us consider how to stir up one another. Look, this is things that we do in family. Let me encourage you. Let me move. You. Let me stir some good thoughts. That's what we do with our kids, with, with our family. And what the Bible says is we're supposed to do that. Now, I could do one another's all day long up here from Scripture. This is just a, a spattering of what we are to do as family. So we see the truth in the storyline, in the language, in the promise, in the commands, the way that we are to treat one another. It's like family. And then finally, in the history of the church. Now, I don't have time to go through that, but over the years, the history has, of the church has used the terms brothers and sisters in Christ. In times of persecution, the church became almost like a, a family in the way that they cared for one another in times of difficulty. We can see stories over and over again. It's why we need to read church history. We don't have time to go on that this morning, but history shows that the church has seen themselves as a family. So what does that mean? What are the ramifications 
of the truth that we are family. Now, here, I'm going to spend a little bit more time centered around Ephesians, not completely. Uh, but in Ephesians, we have this idea of family. Again, this is where we kind of kicked off this series. Let me get there, and uh, we'll talk a little bit about this. This language is all over in chapters 1 and 2 uh, as Paul talks about this idea. Blessed be the God and Father. Um, In in verse 3, he just goes through and he talks about this. In verse 11, chapter 1, in him we have obtained an inheritance. And so we have this idea, and we're going to kind of work through that. But what we're saying is the ramifications are this. We have a new identity. And what I've been saying throughout this series is we need to embrace that identity in a way that it impacts how we treat other people. And so let me just say something about that identity this morning. Uh, And we're not going to turn to a bunch of verses. These are things that many of us are familiar with. But first of all, um, that adoption was very costly. Being adopted into the family of Christ was very costly. In fact, in, uh, it's, uh, I believe in 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul says, you have been bought with a price. It was costly. You see, you and I were born into this family with Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve rebelled. And they said, we're not going to allow you, God, to define what is good and evil. We're going to define it on our own. And since then, we've been living in this upside-down world where man's ways of right and wrong are upside down according to God's ways of right and wrong. And God said, if you you eat of that tree, death is going to enter in the world, and it did. And we have been separated from God because not just Adam and Eve's sin, but our sin. We also have rebelled against God and said, we're going to define good and evil on our own. And we've gone our own way, but God loved us so much And that while we were still sinners, while we were still shaking our fist at God, God demonstrated his love for us by sending his son. And Jesus died, shed his blood, so that we can have an opportunity to be redeemed, bought back into God's family. That that adoption was costly. And when you think about that, when God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. And when we think about the fact that people from all different nations and walks of life have responded by repenting of their sin and trusting in Jesus Christ. When you look at the big church, our adoption makes for a really colorful family. And I mean that literally and kind of tongue in cheek. That's just kind of colorful. There's a lot of people that you would say, boy, they would be uh, an interesting person to have at the dinner table tonight. They look different. They smell different. Their background is different. They talk different, whatever it is. We we have this colorful family in the body of Christ. My first church that I pastored was in a resort town. 
And uh, we would always have visitors, uh, not always, but we often have visitors on Sunday morning, people who were vacationing, who were followers of Jesus, who said, what church am I going to visit on a Sunday as I'm on vacation? Some of you do that, some of you don't. Uh, we, were, we were 50-50 on our vacation. We were gone two Sundays. We visited one church. The other Sunday, we were on the road. And it's fun to sit in a different church service sometimes. And so people would come in. Now, you got to understand, McCall's this resort town up in the mountains where people like to retire to, and then they experience a winter. And oddly enough, after one or two winter, winters, their houses are often up for sale again. It, it seems like a good idea on paper, but once you live through a winter, you said, I had enough of this. And so sometimes people in our church were slow to making new friends because they didn't know if they were going to stick around. And so sometimes when people would visit our church, people wouldn't connect with them right away. And so one of the things I had to teach over and over again is we have the privilege of rubbing shoulders with Christians from a lot of different backgrounds and ways of life that we would never know if they weren't visiting our church. It's a colorful family. Let's embrace that. It's okay to invite them out to lunch if they're only going to be here one Sunday. You might learn something about God you never would have learned if you hadn't done it. It's a colorful family. And as I was thinking about this idea of the costliness and the colorful family that we have, I wanted to just kind of sum this little section up with this. It's also complete. It's, if you've been adopted, should be complete. We have paperwork, okay? There was a judge involved. Now, it's always kind of nerve-wracking going to court, but the adoption court's a lot more fun. It's loose. He's like, hey, do you want to come up here and sit in the chair? I'm like, yeah. Oh, you were talking to Kirsten? Yeah, she wants to too, yes. <laughs> we all do. We all want to turn in the chair, Right? It's casual in that way, but it's, it's law. It's complete. And because we're in a new family, we have new responsibilities. Now, again, using some overhead here, and I'm going to come back to Ephesians in a second. Um, sometimes with our kids, uh, when they would go to other homes, right? Maybe you have a rule about what type of movies your kids can watch and what type of movies they can. Or maybe you have a rule about what they can eat and what they can't eat. Or, um, you know, whatever it is. Shows on TV, I, I don't know. And so what happens is when you send your kids there, it's like, well, what if they offer it to me? What if they're going to watch it? And, you know, especially if they're the pastor's kids, you don't want them saying, well, my dad says you can't watch those movies. Because then they'll just roll their eyes. No, um, and so... <laughs> What we taught our kids to say is the fields don't do that. It's a family thing. The fields don't talk like that. The fields don't watch those. And so it gave them the freedom not to make it a God thing, although it may have been for us. It was a family thing. There's responsibilities as being part of the family. So here's some, again, one another's, some, some responsibilities of the family. Uh, we are called to love one another. To love. Now, when I say this, you go, some of you are going, oh, yeah, I do, I do this. No, everyone. Not just the people you like. 
Not just the people that you've hung out with for a long period of time. Not just the people that you're comfortable with. Not just the same people in your same tax bracket. Not just the same people in in your neighborhood. One another. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We're to care for one another. Now we looked at that Uh, verse in Galatians, he goes on, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, okay? Large family, and especially to those of the household of faith. There's that term again. In other words, we're, we're to care, we're to help people in our community, but if there's a need in the body of Christ, especially we should serve and meet and care for that need. We're called to nurture one another, In 1 Corinthians, the word nurture there is really interesting. I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So Paul says, look, God is my father. I led you to Christ. I'm your father. And I'm not writing these things to admonish you, but... Grow up. Grow up. And sometimes we have to nurture, and sometimes we need to correct. I just, I love, I don't write these things to admonish you. I did just admonish you. Um, but, right, there's times when we have to correct one another. Look, if, if you don't correct your children, if you don't correct your grandchildren, you, do you, that's not love. Okay, I... I love my granddaughter, but she's got a case of the terrible, and she's got a little brother, and there's two chairs, but it's always the chair that the other one's sitting on that, Leah, you know, and I watch my dear, beloved granddaughter, who I think is perfect, do one of these to her brothers, little, little shove. She doesn't think grandpa's going to say something. Leah. Mom and dad aren't in the room? Yeah. I'm not going to let you get away with that. I'm going to correct that behavior. We're called to uh, forgive. Uh, we sang about it. Um, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We've been reading the book, Forgive forgiven to forgive, and we're constantly reminded how much God has forgiven us, therefore we should forgive others. Now, as I was thinking about this, I I wanted to add two more. Um, One is, we're also, as part of the family, called to expand the family business. Um, What do I mean by that? You know, in in this culture, very hard for us to relate to, Jesus, it was said, was a carpenter. We think of woodworker. He, it, it's more of a, a, a broad term. He could have very much been a stone worker. He, was, he worked with his hands. Why did Jesus do that? Because when he was a little boy, he said, I want to be a carpenter when he grew up. No, he did that be, probably because Joseph was a carpenter. You learn the family business. 
Why was Peter a fisherman? Because his dad was a fisherman. That, that was just, that was the way, I mean, you just did that. And so, what is God's business? Jesus said to them, go therefore and make disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Look, we are to spread the gospel. It is said of Jesus, he came to seek and save the lost. Paul said to, to the Corinthians, look, I don't write this to admonish you, but I'm your father and I want you to follow my example, which is what? To, to birth others. We need to expand the family business. As we talked about on Friday night, we need to leave a legacy. At some point, we need to pass that on to the next generation. We have responsibilities. And finally, we have this new inheritance. We have this new inheritance. Um, and so let me just read a little bit about that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let me just say a few things about this inheritance. It is in Christ. It says, in him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. So I said at the beginning, in one way, the storyline of the Bible is that we are all descendants of Adam and Eve, but we have all sinned. That sin separates us from God. God loved us. He pursues us. He provided a way for us to obtain this salvation. In fact, Paul says in him, uh, in this verse, the gospel of your salvation, you believed in him. And so understand that this inheritance, we don't receive it unless we are in Christ. Now, it's interesting, in the ESV, it says, have obtained an inheritance. In the NIV, it just says, we were also chosen. Uh, the root word is the idea of lots. You see those in the Bible, casting lots. And so uh, in it, it, this phrasing in the Greek, it's the only place that it's used here. And so some people have, have translated more in this idea of chosen. Uh, the phrase uh, to me in, in study that I've done means to assign a privilege. And in context, he says in verse 14, inheritance. So I think that's what he's talking about here. But whether you're talking about chosen here and inheritance later, either way, we have an inheritance and it is in Christ, and it was chosen for us. God says, here it is. I'm choosing you. I'm picking you. I want you on my team. So why does God do that? More than once in this passage, he says it is for his glory. It's for his glory. Verse 12, so that we, uh, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And in 14, he repeats it again, to the praise of his glory. 
Now, there's also some interesting wording in this passage because he says, in him we, so who is the we? I think he's talking about everybody, but then he says, so that you. So who are the we and who are the you? Look, this family inheritance comes through Israel. The promises that were given to Israel, Paul is saying, is now available to you. What were the promises to Israel? God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a land. I am going to make you a people. Land, people, blessing. Throughout scripture, you're my people. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to bless you. And now Paul says, look, those promises of Israel, you've been adopted into Christ's family, and you're going to get a land, and you're going to get a blessing. You're going to be my people. It's through Israel. How does it come to us? Through faith and belief. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, you believed in him. And you were sealed with a promise. If you've heard the gospel, you need to to respond to it. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone. It's through faith and belief. And then he gives this terminology of the spirit as a guarantee of our inheritance. It is guaranteed. We are family. That is our identity. That identity comes with responsibilities. How we treat one another. And when we do that, in faith, in following Jesus Christ, we have a guaranteed inheritance that is coming to us. I hope this morning in the the many different verses we use that you hear this. When the Bible talks about family, it is not saying you're like a family. He is saying you are family. What we believe about ourselves shapes how we respond to one another. And we live in a society in a big town with many different churches. And so oftentimes if we butt heads with somebody else, it's just easier to go somewhere else. But we're still family. Oftentimes if we don't like the preacher, we can find another one in town. Come and talk to me. I'll tell you which ones are the good ones. Tell you which ones I like to listen to. (laughs) We don't like the music. If we don't like the temperature, if we don't like the pew, I, I don't whatever it is. But let me just remind you that we're all family. So what we're called to do is that we're loving one another, right? It's not an option. We don't get to pick and choose who we want to love. So let me ask you this. Who do you need to be more loving toward? There's people that you're loving, and you're loving well. Go continue to do that. But maybe as we're talking about this, there's other people that you need to love that are more difficult to love. Forgiving one another, it's not an option. In fact, how we forgive others 
impacts how God forgives us. It's not an option. You don't get to just kind of say, well, I'm just, I don't want to do it right now. So who do you need to forgive? Caring for one another. It's not an option. So who do you need to care for? And maybe I should be specific. Who do you need to care for in a loving way? There's so many different applications here. And so the, res- the reminder is it's not just something that we kind of have to do. It's something that we get to do because we're family. And when the church operates as family, when they forgive as family, when they care for one another as family, the lost world takes notice of that. Now, we say at the beginning of the service, we're a multi-generational church. One of the advantages of that is there are people who have broken relationships with their family. And now they're trying to parent without grandparents. They're trying to do life without somebody older coming alongside of them. So when we say we're a multi-generational church, what we're saying is what we want to offer is cross-pollinization with the different generations in a positive way that, that impacts people. Now, let me just say this, younger people, you're hearing this, and, you, and some of you are going, I want that, but when I look at those older people, they just got their life all together. They're so perfect. I've been here for almost 10 years. A couple months, it'll be 10 years. Let me tell you, these older people do not have it all together. <laughs> but they've learned some great lessons. They've learned some great lessons. So look, what we're trying to do is say, as a family, let's do this together. Let's pray. God, thanks for this morning. Thank you for your word. And uh, thank you for the privilege of being able to talk with family this morning. God, I pray that you would take the words that I said and things that are true from your word, that you would impart them into our hearts. Help us not to just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. So God, if you're convicting us, may we respond. If you're encouraging us, may we respond. May we respond to what you are saying to us this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.